one time the Prophet, peace be upon him, after the prayer, after Maghrib, or maybe it was Asr or Dhuhr, was sitting with the Sahaba, and a man came to the Prophet, peace be upon him. Is that Miriam Latif? Did you get a book, Miriam L? Good. He came, and this man, he was dressed in all white, clean. He was clean, just like as if he came out of a shower. His hair was wet, dripping, and it was jet black. It had no dust on it. He had no dust on him. So what does that mean? If you're in the desert and you have no dust on you, right? That means you didn't just travel. It means you, you must have been in someone's house and took a shower, right? You must have been in someone's house. You are not, you're not uh, a traveler. However, no one knew him, right? So if he was just this clean and just took a shower and he's still just yeah, and he's dripping, his hair is dripping, okay? In that case, he must be, not only that, he must be living with someone right next to the masjid, right? But nobody knew him, right? So he's crystal clean, but no one knows him. Secondly, he's asking the Prophet, peace be upon him, questions, but then he's confirming the answer, right? He's asking a question, but then he's telling the Prophet, you're correct. So is he ignorant or is he knowledgeable? Because if someone is telling him you're correct, that means he's knowledgeable. But yet he's asking a question. So the Sahaba are looking at this situation and wondering what's going on. So the man got up and he asked the Prophet, he asked the Prophet five questions. Five questions. The Prophet answered four and didn't answer the fifth one. Okay. Then the man left. When the man left, the Sahaba were sitting, thinking, okay, who is this? And then the Prophet said, do you know who that was? They said, no. He, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, said, go and find him. So if you're in the desert, back in, that, back in the day, if there's a horse, you're going to hear it moving, right? And he would have been dirty if he was riding a horse. So he wasn't riding a horse. So they went very quickly as soon as they stepped out, they looked right, they looked left, the man was gone. No sign of the man. So they said, spread out, look behind the trees, behind the homes. No sign of the man whatsoever. So they came back, they said, Master of Allah, this is a strange man, right? He's not a traveler, he's not one of us. He's not ignorant, but he's asking you questions. And when we looked for him, he disappeared. Right? Then he told him, this was Jibreel. Allah sent Jibreel in the form of a man to ask questions in front of you so that you can learn the summary of your religion. Okay? This is the summary of the religion. So what were the questions that he asked? Sorry, I said five, four questions that he asked. And he answered, no, uh, five questions he answered, four. First he asked about Islam. In other words, which is, what are the actions that mark a Muslim? What actions indicate someone is a Muslim? Okay, number one. The second question he asks is about Iman. What does a Muslim believe in? Right? What beliefs indicate that you're a Muslim? The third question is about Ihsan. And Ihsan in is the question of what makes worship good? What makes an act of worship good in the sight of the Prophet, peace be upon him, in the sight of Allah, Azza wa Jal? Okay? The fourth question is what the Prophet refused to answer. 
And he question was, when is the day of judgment? And this the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, the one asking knows no more than the one being asked. So there's no answer to that. Okay. Which teaches us that this is not an issue that we're supposed to be busy with. No one should calculate. Did anyone remember seeing a church the other day, last a couple years ago, saying that the judgment day was going to happen on May 12, 2012? Does anyone remember seeing that? You remember seeing those posters all over New York? They had posters. Judgment day is coming. As if when Yom Qiyamah comes, Allah is going to announce it on a billboard. Right? He had posters everywhere, May 12, 2012. Judgment day is coming. Okay? So, uh, uh, this Allah, uh, Prophet is telling us, you don't need to worry about when it's coming. Right? But, the man asked a follow-up question. He said, then tell me about the signs of the day of judgment. What are the signs of the day of judgment? Okay? What are the signs? Then the Prophet answered him and gave him a number of signs of something which we call Akhiru zaman also known as the end of time. Okay? Signs called Akhiru zaman or the end of time. Okay? It's very important for us to know because the Prophet has given specific instructions on how to live in the end of time, which we're going to probably get to in a couple classes. Okay, so the first point that you need to know in your notes, and it's in the canvas uh, notes already. All right, let's see who. Uh, yeah. All right, get um, the sister behind you, Miriam. Let's see if I have her write her name so we can invite her to the canvas thing. All right, so the first thing I want you to have in your notes is who is this person? Why would the Sahaba really? Uh, uh, wondering about this man. What was, why was he peculiar like this? He caught their attention. All right? Because three things. He's not a stranger and he doesn't, he's not a traveler at the same time. You can either be a stranger or you're one of us. Right? So he wasn't a traveler and he wasn't one of them. Number two, he asks and he confirms. And number three, as soon as they went to look for him, he had disappeared. Okay? And it was Jibreel came to teach the Muslims, what their deen was. Now, the first thing that he said is the shahada. So, what does the word shahada mean? The word shahada means public testimony. So, the first pillar of a person being a Muslim is you have to openly say, at least once in your life, in front of people, you have to say the shahada, which is La ilaha illallah and Muhammad Rasulullah. You have to say it openly in front of at least one person once in your life, or two people once in your life, right? It's public. Your Islam can never be private. You can't be secretive about your Islam unless you have a reason, and that reason is simply that you're afraid to be killed. If you're afraid to be killed, or if you are benefiting the Muslims more by being a secret Muslim, right? Like who? The Prophet's uncle, Al-Abbas. The Prophet's uncle Abbas, how was he benefiting the Muslims? Because he never took his shahada. He never did the shahada. He believed in the Prophet. But for, um, during the war, he never said he was a Muslim. So what was he doing? He was delivering the secrets of what the pagans are going to do to the Prophet. If he had said he was a Muslim, then what would happen? They, would, he, they wouldn't let him in. Right? So he was benefiting the Muslims. This is the only time. And the second time is... If you fear for your life, 
Okay? So if you fear for your life, and if you are benefiting the Muslims by staying secretly not Muslim, okay, then these are the only times you can keep your Islam secret. Otherwise, your Islam has to be public. Okay? So once in your life is enough. And of course, all of us, are we're doing it all the time. All right? We're repeating our shahada in front of everyone all the time. All right? So that's really not even an issue. All right? Now let's look at what is this shahada? What does the shahada say? The shahada says... There is no God worthy of worship except Allah. So what this shahada does is it removes what we don't believe in first and then puts what we believe in. This is very important. Okay? We don't just say we worship Allah. The first thing we say is we do not worship false gods. And false gods are not worthy of worship. Okay? And only Allah is worthy of worship. Like if you had a cup all right, or a plate of food, Right? What do you have to do before you serve? If you have a, gl a glass cup or a mug, what do you do before you put your drink inside the mug? You've got to look inside the mug, right? You've got to look inside the mug and make sure it's clean. All right? Sometimes you go in, you open the dishwasher, you pull a mug out. You don't know if the dishwasher was cleaned or not, or it's still dirty. You look inside the mug. If it's clean, you use it. If it's dirty, you've got to clean it out. All right? So... Allah gave us the shahada saying that we reject false gods before we affirm the truth. All right? Now, this is the first important thing. Secondly, what is a deity? What is a god? What is a god? How do we define a god? Is a god anything that you bow down to? Right? Is it anything that you worship and, and, and put your head down to it? Or something that has a temple? Right? Or a, or a church or a mosque or something else, right? There are two qualities of a god. Number one, you worship it. And number two, which is really the same thing as worship, it is what dictates your actions. It is what dictates your actions, okay? That is your true god. Even if you say, la ilaha illallah, but then you take your actions from somewhere else, in that case, you're not being true to your statement. So what happened? There was a Christian man. His name was Adi bin Hatim. And Adi was an Arab who became a Christian. Okay? He became a Christian. But his father was a very noble man known for generosity. His name is Hatim al-Ta'i. He was so generous to his guests that if his guests came and there was no food, he would even slaughter his horses and feed his guests. Okay? This is how generous he was. So much so that one time a man came and he had no food, no sheep, no camel, no horses. So he was so embarrassed that he can't offer any food. What did he do? He go and he started looking at his sleeping son until his wife came and said, no, you have to stop here. You can't slaughter our son and feed people. Okay, so this is the famous Hatim al-Ta'im. Because the Prophet, he always respects people who are good. So now this man, Adi bin Hatim, he became a Christian. So the Prophet recited to him some verses about Christianity. And this verse was, This verse, you guys, you th I think you need to move in a little bit because now the other guys are starting. So move in so you could hear a little bit better. Huh? 
All right, so this verse, this ayah, said that the Jews and the Christians took their priests and rabbis as gods next to Allah. So Adi said, Oh, oh Muhammad, he wasn't a Muslim yet. He said, We never took our priests or rabbis as gods next to Allah. We never worshipped priests and rabbis. So the Prophet, peace be upon him, said to him, Can you all hear or is that distracting? Raise your hand if it's a distraction. Okay, it's good. You guys good? Okay. So Adi bin Hatim said, Oh, Master of Allah, we never worshipped priests or rabbis. Is it getting a bit loud? Is it getting a bit loud? A little bit loud? Okay. We'll, th we'll think of something to do next time. Maybe we'll sit there next time. Or something. Okay. So the Prophet then said to him, Did it ever happen that the Bible or the Torah ordered you something? Right? And the priest or the rabbi ordered something else? He said, yeah. The priests oftentimes contradict the Bible. Right? The priest tells us to do something that the Bible doesn't say to do. Or vice versa. The Bible says to do something, the priests say you don't have to do it. Then the Prophet said, well, who, which one of you did you all obey? He said, we would obey the priests and not the Bible. He said, then that's your worship to the, to the priests. That is your worship to the priests. Okay? So the Prophet showed us that worship is not just bowing your head in prayer or making dua. Worship is obedience. Who do you obey? And the rule of thumb is, we only obey a person if Allah has told us to obey that person. Right? And we never obey a created being if it is contrary to the order of the Creator. You got that? We never obey a created being if he crosses and contradicts the Creator himself. And we only obey a person if Allah himself has told us to obey that person. So worship, you have to know, is not just bowing and praying. It's obedience. Who, who dictates your actions? Who tells you how to live? This is your true God. Okay? So this is, you have to know that a, uh, a false God does not have to be an idol. A false God could be an idea. Right? A false God can be anything that, forced, that dictates your behavior. Alright? You always have to ask yourself, why am I behaving this way? Right? And you have to know if there is any force out there or forcing you to behave a certain way, all right, you have to be aware of it. Okay. Now, any questions on this so far? Any preguntas? Everyone's good? Okay, good. All right. Now, number, the next point. What is the definition of a God? What is a God? A God by nature is only one by nature. A God is by nature is only one. There cannot be multiple gods. Because a God is unique. A God is unique. Okay? He is independent of all things. He's unique and independent. What is our problem with the Trinity? The Trinity. Okay? They say God is one, but he's three parts. Yeah, you have something to say? Okay. They say God is one. We worship one God, but that God is three parts. We tell them, why is he 
that impossible? Logically impossible? Because if these three parts, then if each part is dependent on the other two parts, right? If you divide a circle into three parts, right? Then each part is dependent upon the other two parts and a God can never be dependent. A God cannot need anything else. A God cannot be divisible. You cannot divide him into parts, all right? So this is the first thing. God, a God has to be unique. There has to be only one. There cannot be two. There cannot be competition. He cannot have parts. A God on top of this cannot have a rival. He, is, he has all power. He is all powerful. Right? He is all powerful. There could be there are there is a Persian religion. There's a Persian religion which tells us that there's a force of good and an equally strong force of evil. Right? This is called uh, uh, who studied uh, Persian religions? Right? In Persian religion, right, they worship a god called Mazda. There's a there's a force of good and a force of evil. We say the evil that exists is under Allah's complete control. It's under Allah's complete control. Right? Nothing is outside of His control. And any evil that exists, exists for a wisdom. Okay? For a reason that Allah has. Okay? Secondly, the, cre a, the Creator is different from the creation. He is completely different from the creation. He, doesn't, he is the Creator of time and space. He is not dependent on time and space. These are all attributes of the Creator. Okay. Next point. God must be all-knowing. You cannot have an ignorant God. You cannot have a God who doesn't know anything or doesn't know something. Okay? Therefore, everything that the Creator does is with wisdom. There's nothing He does out of ignorance. Okay? There's nothing he does out of ignorance. Everything has a wisdom. Okay. Alright, so all these are summaries of the Shahada. Of La ilaha illallah. Now, what's the second part of the Shahada? Muhammad Rasulullah. Alright. From the obligations regarding belief in the Prophet, peace be upon him, are as follows. We must believe, must believe, that the Prophet, peace be upon him, has come for all people until the end of time. Okay? He, he has come for all people until the end of time. And that anyone who hears about him and receives the message properly about him but rejects him is rejected in the sight of Allah Azza wa Jal. Okay? Anyone who hears of the Prophet, peace be upon him, and gets the message properly, correctly, but yet rejects the message despite having heard it properly, right? He is rejected. Question? Okay. If someone hears about the Prophet, peace be upon him, in the incorrect way, then we say about this person that the judgment is Allah's, is up to Allah. Allah will judge them, whether or not they got the message properly. Like who? Most people today on the earth. They hear about the Prophet through whom? They hear about Islam through what? Through charitable actions that the Muslims are doing? Because Muslims are feeding the poor in Africa? Is that why we hear about Islam? How do your friends hear about Islam? Because of all the hospitals that the Muslims are opening up? Why do the people hear about Islam today? Through bad things, right? Through bad things. 
through activities that do not represent the Prophet. Through what? Bombers and terrorists. So we say about them, have they received the da'wah properly? No, they haven't received the da'wah properly. You have received the da'wah properly, but they haven't. Therefore, you have a judgment on you, and those people have a different judgment on them. Allah will judge them based on what they understood. If they misunderstood and they were taught something different about the Prophet, then their judgment will be different. Okay? Until they get the message properly. Alright, so this is the obligatory belief of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Again, he is the Prophet for all people, not just the Arabs, until the end of time. And whosoever rejects him after having heard about him properly, that person in the sight of Allah is rejected and damned. Alright, now let's move to the Salah. How was Salah made obligatory? Who knows, how did Allah make Salah, like, was it through a verse of Qur'an? How did Allah make the Salah obligatory? Raise your hand if you know this. Unlike, you know this? Let's hear it. Close. Most obligations have come through the revelation of the Qur'an. Right? Qur'an told us to fast. Qur'an told us to make hajj. Qur'an told us to pay zakah. Qur'an told us how to make wudu. But as for the prayer, the prayer has only come Okay, the prayer has only come when Allah, the Prophet directly from Allah Azza wa Jal. When the Prophet went on the night journey of the Isra and the Mi'raj, then the Prophet went to Jerusalem first. Then he went to the first heaven, then the second heaven, then the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, until Jibreel said, "I have to stop here, but you can advance." And he advanced and he spoke to Allah directly, directly. And here Allah told him certain things which we don't know about. But amongst these, he said, I give your ummah the greatest gift I have given any other ummah. What is that? Fifty prayers, night and day. Fifty prayers in the night and day. Then the Prophet took it and he came down. Then he saw Musa Musa said, what did you bring? Right? What did Allah give you? He said, 50 prayers. The Prophet Musa said, I have ruled people before. They will never do it. Go back and ask for a decrease. So he went and asked for a decrease. Then Allah gave him 45. Then he came down and Musa stopped him. He said, what did Allah give you? He said, 45. He said, I have experience. They won't do it. Go back. He came back and it was decreased to 40. Then he came down and he said, what is it now? He said, it's 40. He said, no, they still won't do it. Go back. Okay? And this kept happening until it was five. Then Musa said, what did he give you? He said, five. He said, they won't do it. Get two. They'll do two. But the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, I'm embarrassed to ask for any more. So Allah Azza wa Jal made the prayers five, counting each counts for ten. That's why each prayer counts as 10 prayers. Okay? So this is how the prayer became obligated. Now, how, what about how to pray? So these are five prayers. So how do we do them? When do we do them? Do we do them all at once? Do we do them all at night? How do we do them? So the next day, the Prophet came back from the Isra and the Mi'raj. Well, what's the, the next prayer? The first prayer is Fajr. However, Fajr is dark. So Jibreel did not teach the Prophet 
Fajr, because it's too dark, he can't see. So when Dhuhr came, the first prayer that Jibreel taught the Prophet, peace be upon him, was Dhuhr prayer the next day right after the Isra and the Mi'raj. The next day, at Dhuhr time, what is Dhuhr? When the sun is right above us, and then it tilts a little bit, okay? The Jibreel السلام, kicked with his heel the ground. They took the, he took the Prophet far away from everyone. Then he kicked the ground and some water started coming up. Then Jibreel, who came in the form of a man, began to make wudu. Right? Wash his hands, wash his face, wash his mouth, his nose, his face, his arms, wiped his hair, and washed his feet up to the ankles, including the heel. Then the Prophet watched this and imitated it. Then he prayed, and the Prophet prayed next to him. And he prayed every single prayer. On the first day, he prayed Dhuhr, Asr, Maghrib, Isha, and Fajr at the beginning of the time. The next day, Jibreel came again. But this time, he didn't come at the beginning. He came at the end of the time. So this is how the Prophet learned what is the beginning of the time and what is the end of the time. Okay? So the Jibreel came for two straight days and prayed every prayer with the Prophet, all right, so that the Prophet see what is the correct form, what do we say in the prayer, okay, how to make wudu properly, and what is the beginning of the time, and what is the end of the time. Okay, this happened again the day, the two days after what? The Isra and the Mi'raj. What does the word Isra mean? It means journeying by night to Jerusalem. What does Mi'raj mean? Journeying upwards to the heavens. Okay. So this is the prayer. Any questions so far? Alright, the third pillar. Summary. We're taking summaries here. The third pillar, of course, you know, is Som. So now we have a question now. Allah says in the Quran, all people used to fast. So how did all people used to fast? They used to fast a little bit differently than us. First of all, the fast of previous people used to include not talking, right? You couldn't eat, you couldn't drink, you couldn't talk. This was the, the way previous people fasted. How else did they fast? Some nations fasted 24 hours. 24 hour fast. That means no eating, no drinking, no talking for a full day. From sundown to sundown. Okay? The Muslims were given a fast too. The first fast that was made obligatory on the Muslims was not Ramadan. It was Ashura, which is Muharram 10 and 11. Muharram 10 and 11, which is coming upon us right now. Muharram 10 and 11. This was the first obligatory fast. And the fast was, when did the fast begin? At Fajr? No. Began at Aisha. At Aisha. At Aisha, all the way to Maghrib. You fast all the night and then all the day until Maghrib. Alright? This was how the first fast was. Then, Ramadan came and was an extra fast. If you wanted to fast, you fast. If you, want, if you didn't want to fast, you could feed people. 
Okay? This was for the first few years in Islam. Now, in the sixth year after the hijrah of the Prophet, peace be upon him, it was reversed. Muharram was made recommended and Ramadan was made obligatory. Ramadan was made an obligation. Okay? And the fast was from Aisha all the way to Fajr. But then something started to happen. Because it's a whole month, right? It's not two days or one day. So what started to happen? If a man could not get his dinner in order before Maghrib, or he was late, he couldn't eat dinner at all. So one day, they cut, O Messenger of Allah, so-and-so fainted. He fainted in the middle of the day. Why did he faint? Because the day before, he couldn't get food fast enough. Right? So he missed that short window that you could eat. So he couldn't eat at all. So he's now going beyond 24 hours without eating. So he fainted. Then Allah revealed and made the fast easier for the Muslims. And then we fast from now from Fajr to Maghrib. Only from Fajr to Maghrib. Okay. Alright, stop here. We'll start. We'll return inshallah after Salah. Now, Psalm. We just said that it used to be from Isha to, to Maghrib. Then it was reduced. Okay. Likewise, there were no group tarawih. Tarawih was individual. You just did it by yourself. Only in the time of the second Khalifa, Umar ibn Khattab. Who was the first Khalifa? Abu Bakr. Then he died. Then Umar. Then in the time of Umar, it was getting, there were so many Muslims and it was getting so loud that someone got, thought of the idea of gathering everyone. Then he did. Then Umar came in and saw it and said, this is excellent. So from now on, we pray in a group. And that was the first time they did tarawih. In the time of the Prophet, there were no group tarawih. Tarawih was just individual. Okay, by individuals. Now we're going to have to, we're going to have to move quick here. Okay. Next one is zakah. What is zakah? It is, you have to give as a sadaqah to the, to the poor of the Muslims. Right? One out of 40 parts of your savings. What is one out of 40 parts equal to 2.5%? What is the definition of savings? Savings is money that you have had sitting there for a year or more. That's what we call savings. So it's not on income. Income is what the money you get every month. No, this is zakah is on savings. The money that you have had sitting there for a year. Now what if I had in my piggy bank $25 or $100 sitting there for two years? Do I have to give zakat on that? No. You have to have a limit which is called a nisab. A nisab. Write the word down. Nisab. And what's that limit? It's something, yani, a certain amount of gold that hovers around something like uh, $2,000 or some limit like that. It's a high amount. It's not a small amount. Okay? So if you just had a few hundred bucks, then no. You don't have to pay zakat on that. Okay? So that's what zakat is. So you've got to know it's on savings. Okay? It's not on income. It's on savings. It's one out of 40 parts, right, which is 2.5%. And it's only if your money is past the nisab. This is the zakat of your money. There's zakat on your stores. 
there's zakat on the animals that you have. Certain animals have zakat, right? If you have 40 sheep, you have to give one sheep, right? So, and likewise, there are different types of zakat. There's zakat on a treasure that you find. There's zakat on natural resources that you might own. Different types of zakat. But, but for now, we're only going to look at this one, all right, money. Now we go to the last pillar, hajj. Hajj was made obligatory two years before the death of the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet did not lead the first hajj. Who led the first hajj? Abu Bakr. Going to show the Muslims that if you can't make hajj, you don't have to make hajj. So the Prophet didn't make the first hajj. He told Abu Bakr what to do. The Prophet, peace be upon him, made the second hajj, which was the last year of his life. And that hajj showed as well that the Prophet only made hajj once. Showing that hajj is only obligatory once in your life. If you have the means. Alright. When is hajj? Hajj is from the 8th to the 13th of Dhul Hijjah. The month is what? Dhul Hijjah. Obviously, the name of hajj is in the name of the month. On the 8th, you go, you arrive at Mecca wearing your ihram. Okay. You make tawaf around the Kaaba and Sa'i between the Safa and Marwa on the 8th of Dhul Hijjah. Alright, we have two more minutes here. On the 9th of Dhul Hijjah, you wake up. Okay. Oh, sorry. On the 8th of Dhul Hijjah, you make your tawaf. You make your Sa'i, then you go to Mina. Alright, you go to Mina. Alright. You wait, you spend the night there in Mina. You wake up the next day and you go to Arafah. Write it down. Mecca to Mina to Arafah. You spend the whole day in Arafah, then you go to Muzdalifah. Okay, you're in Mecca. Then you go to Mina on the 8th of Dhul Hijjah. On the 9th of Dhul Hijjah, you wake up in Mina. You go to spend the day in Arafah, then spend the night in Muzdalifah. If you see it, when you see it, it's a big loop. It's a big loop, like a track. Okay? So on day nine, you're in three places. Mina, Arafah, Muzdalifah. On day ten, okay? On day ten, you go to Mina. Then to Mecca, make tawaf again. Then go back to Mina. This is day ten of Dhul Hijjah. You wake up at Mina, you go to Mecca, make tawaf and sa'i again. This is the big day. This is Eid for us, right? We're praying Eid. For them, it's Eid as well. Then you go to Mina again. Huh? No. You're Mina. To Mecca, to Mina, day 10. Then you spend day 11, 12, and 13 resting and eating and remembering Allah in Mina. Okay? And you have the option to go home. Before, uh, on day 12 Okay, you have the option to go home on day 12 To leave So Hajj is day 8, 9, 10 11, 12, 13 6 days But you have the, the 6th day is optional Okay This is what Hajj is Alright, to repeat Day 8, Dhul Hijjah Day 8 You arrive at Mecca, you make Tawaf and Sa'i Alright, to walk around the Kaaba, seven times. Seven times between Safa and Marwa. Then you go to Mina and you spend the night. That's day eight. Day nine, you wake up at Mina. You go to Arafah. You spend the whole day there. Then, at night, you go to Muzdalifah. 
and you spend the night in Muzdalifah. Now is day 10, which is Eid. Okay? You wake up at Mina, you go to Mecca, you make Tawaf and Sa'i again, then you go back to Mina, and you spend the rest of the time in Mina. That's it. Very simple. And it looks like this. It's a lap. You're basically making a lap. Okay? You're making a lap. Alright? Now, uh, about this, any questions so far? Anyone have any questions on this? So these are the summary, basic summary of your five pillars. Oh, now, Dhul Hijjah, which month is it in the calendar? The Hijri calendar? The Arabs did not used to have, they had 12 months, but they didn't have a beginning and end. The Arabs never had a beginning and end. The companion, Uthman, when Umar ibn Khattab said, we need a calendar, what's the year one? What is our year based on? In the, the Hijra, right? The Hijra of the Prophet, peace be upon him, all right? Hijra of the Prophet. So they needed to find what is the beginning month. So Uthman ibn Affan said, every time we make Hajj, we begin our deeds brand new. Therefore, let Dhul Hijjah be the last month and Muharram be the first month. All right, you, you and your sister can go. Okay, so they made it that let Muharram be uh, the first year, first month of the year, just as after Hajj, we begin our deeds from new. So let it be that uh, Muharram is uh, the first month of the calendar year. Alright, so that's basically what we're covering today. So we covered a lot of things today, and we covered a lot of things on the first day. Alright, does anyone have any questions? Alright, you got a quiz next week. You need to go on Canvas, because I'm going to put the quiz on Canvas. Okay, I'm going to put the quiz on Canvas so you can see it. Sign this paper and you'll see. You signed it? You signed it? Alright. Okay. Huh? You need, you need a book? All right. Kanza, just keep a head count of who needs a book. Two people need books? All right. All right. You got you to gotta quiz on all this. On this quiz, I'm going to ask you about the intentions, the 10 points of intention and all this material. And the whole lecture is on Canvas as well. All right. The quiz will be there, but you need to memorize the, the knowledge. And I'm going to ask you about it tomorrow. I mean, next week. Alright? Alright, so if anyone has any questions... No, you're keeping those. You're keeping these. Oh, pick it up off the ground like that. Crazy? Alright, any other questions? Where are the keys? Where is it? Oh, here. It's this one.